In the world of manufacturing, change is the only constant. How are small and medium-sized manufacturers, SMMs, to keep up with new technologies, regulations, and other important shifts, let alone leverage them to become leaders in their industries? Shifting Gears, a podcast from CMTC, highlights leaders from the modern world of manufacturing, from SMMs to consultants to industry experts. Each quarter, we go deep into topics pertinent to both operating a manufacturing firm and the industry as a whole. Join us to hear about the manufacturing sector's latest trends, groundbreaking technologies, and expert insights to help SMMs in California set themselves apart in this exciting modern world of innovation and change. I'm Greg Profesich, Director of Advanced Manufacturing Technologies at CMTC, and I'd like to welcome you. In this episode, I'm joined by Christopher Thornburg, PhD, founding partner at Beacon Economics, LLC. Christopher discusses the current state of the economy and what he calls the miserablest narrative in today's media. In addition, Dr. Thornburg covers key indicators of economic health, trends impacting the manufacturing sector, and what manufacturers should look out for in the future. Welcome, Chris. It's great to have you back again. You always have such great insights to share. I can't wait for our conversation. Great to be back, Greg. So, Chris, I think it's fair to say that there are numerous situations here at home and around the world that are impacting the economy. I mean, continuing COVID-19 effects, supply chain issues, the war in Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. As one reads the headlines, it's easy to get confused. There's a lot of press about the economy, and oftentimes there are conflicting messages from day to day. Now, we know that all the, all the predictions are just that, predictions, educated guesses about the economic future based on a given set of indicators and trends. Our focus today is about the manufacturing industry. The question is, how can SMMs make sense of all the economic information and make the right decisions about their growth strategies, capital investments, et cetera, for their businesses? So, Chris, we all hear stories in the media each day about the state of the economy, from fears of recession to interest rate policy and the Federal Reserve related to inflation. So, for context, before we start specifically talking about manufacturing, what is the kind of state of the overall economy? What are the key things that you look for to say, is the economy healthy and what direction it's going in? Right. Well, clearly, we're in the midst of a little bit of an existential crisis at the national level. Every time you pick up the paper, uh, there's someone else discussing the recession that's about to happen. Now, I, I don't necessarily buy into these headlines, and I don't think uh, the folks out there listening to this should be buying into it as well. The track record of the forecasting communities to predict recessions is incredibly abysmal. Uh, they've missed the last three big ones completely and have called many a recession that didn't happen. Thus, you know, these kind of dire headlines are not something you should immediately internalize. I can tell you that we, we don't think there's going to be a recession, uh, mainly because we don't see why there would be a recession. You know, there is, in my world, I, I always think about recessions as being driven as by some sort of major shift in demand. Take, for example, the Great Recession. If you looked at where the economy was in 2006, it was clear it was on an unsustainable path. People were borrowing too much money. We were building too many homes. People were spending too much. Savings rates were too low. Wall Street was full of all sorts of weird financial products that didn't make any sense. In other words, at some point, the bottom was clearly going to fall out. and We were going to see some major changes in the underlying structure of demand, and that was going to cause a recession. That's why back then I called the recession. I look across our economy here at the beginning of 2023, and I don't see any of these big imbalances. I don't see anything that could cause these kind of rapid changes that would suggest to me that the U.S. economy is going to go into a recession. So we're not, we're not on that particular bandwagon. Now, I understand where some of these dramatic headlines are coming from. After all, 2022 was marked by a big increase in the pace of inflation. And then, of course, was followed by a, a big jump in interest rates. And certainly, we're seeing some slowing in interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy, like housing, for example. But 
these are not, if you will, just exogenous negative shocks that are inherently going to put our economy into a recession. In fact, I would go so far as to say, I don't think we've ever had a recession that's been driven by rising interest rates and inflation. Um, These are nothing more than the consequences of the excessive stimulus they put into place over the course of the pandemic. I argue that 2022 is more or less uh, was the year of our, uh, shall we say, stimulus hangover. Um, They overdid it. Now things have to re-equilibrate in terms of prices going up, interest rates going up. We're going through that process. It seems like we're coming out the other end. And I anticipate 2023 should be a great year. Wow. Okay. So the, the, the stimulus hangover, is that, is that a term you've coined, you, you guys have, have trademarked? No, no I, maybe I should, <laughs> now you mention it. But no, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Let's go back to the pandemic itself. Because you think of these negative headlines right now, they're, they're nothing new. Indeed, I've been talking about how we continuously talk about the economy as being bad when it's good. We've been doing that really since the end of the Great Recession. 2019, the same folks who are calling a recession now were calling a recession. Back then, it was about the Chinese trade war. And then in 2020, these folks told us that it was going to be a great depression uh, that was uh, created by this pandemic, even though that was an entirely nonsensical prediction. Again, where would you come up with that idea? It just it, It's a complete non sequitur. We've never seen a pandemic cause a a major recession or a depression. And the idea that this one would, it never made any sense. You know, the actual closures because of the pandemic cost us a little over a trillion dollars of economic output. So every dollar of economic output that was lost, Congress put back almost $6 of stimulus. That's a crazy amount of money. And, you know, it's not rocket science what happens when you do that. Uh, Economics in many ways was founded on the study of currency and inflation and these kind of monetary factors within an economy. And, you know, when you throw that much money at the economy, you increase the money supply by 40%. It inevitably is going to create in the short run a surge in investment and asset prices and consumer spending. It feels good. But ultimately, an economy's ability to produce goods and services is determined by its technology, the number of people it has, the number of machines it has. You, you can't create new output by throwing money at the economy. One thing you do is you push demand beyond the economy's ability to actually supply it, thus prices have to go up. So the hangover part of this situation is prices start to go up, inflation increases, interest rates start to rise, and all that big increase in consumer spending and business investment and uh, start to back off again, and asset prices come down again. That's 2022 in a nutshell. Uh, it was uh, the stimulus hangover. Uh, we're not quite there. We're, we're coming out of it. But um, again, underlying that stimulus hangover, economy is in pretty good shape. Excellent. Okay. All right. So, so the Fed's been attempting to lower the inflation rate through interest rate policy. How effective has this been and how long are they likely to hold interest rates at the current levels? Do you think they're still going up? Are they going to be leveling out? Are they coming down? What's your sense of that? I, I know it's, it's, it's not an exact science. Well, of course not. You know, what's interesting about this process is they created the inflation through quantitative easing. That is to say, they printed up $5 trillion in new money and bought government debt with it. More or less, they monetized most of that stimulus spending by Congress. When they decided they were going to fight inflation, they went a different route. They didn't use quantitative tightening. I mean, they've done a little bit of that, but it's been minuscule. The vast majority of the efforts have been raising up the federal funds rate. Uh, For those wondering, the federal funds rate is uh, an interbank overnight lending rate. You know, the, the deposits and the demand for loans in the banking system are not so you say equal across banks. So banks basically go back and forth lending. Those who have excess deposits lend to banks that have too few deposits. And that all happens through those, those uh, federal fund markets. What the Federal Reserve is doing there 
is more or less is pushing up uh, the interest rates in that particular market, which tends to cascade out into other types of interest rates uh, in the overall financial system. So it, it's weird because they gave us inflation with A, but they're taking away with trying to take it away with B. Functionally speaking, they haven't really done a lot. Um, yes, they've cooled off parts of the economy a little bit, uh, but with all the money out there, the only thing they're doing is they're slowing down the pace of inflation. They're not going to actually stop the overall amount of inflation that has to take place because they're not really getting into any money. So in a sense, they're just stretching out the inflationary surge rather than having it all happen at one time. I don't think it's going to make, shall we say, much of a long-run difference in terms of where the price levels end up. With that in mind, where's the Fed going now? Well, look, they've done their job. We're clearly over peak inflation. Things are cooling off. Uh, parts of the economy, they're excessively hot, like the housing market is, is cooling off. And as a result of that, I think a lot of this fear in the Federal Reserve of inflation uh, is starting to fade. Uh, they have more or less been announcing what they're going to be doing, and it seems as if they're going to continue on the current path, which is pushing up the federal fund rate probably a, a hair below 5% and just leaving it there. Now, what does that mean for interest rates? Uh, well, look, if you look at things like, say, the 10-year bond or mortgage rates, they've already settled out. They've already found a path that the market seemed comfortable with based on where they think Fed policy is going, where they think inflation is going. Uh, and I think as long as there are no big surprises here, that is to say the Fed doesn't change course uh, or we don't suddenly don't see another you know, acceleration of inflation, I think you're going to see exactly what they're saying is going to shake out and rates are going to pretty much stabilize. Do I think they're going to come down again? No, not really. And I don't think they should. You know, really over the last decade, the U.S. economy has seen excessively low interest rates, which can be distortionary. It can create problems in the economy. It certainly ties the Federal Reserve's hands in terms of the kind of policies that it can put into place. I think we probably all should just expect interest rates to stay elevated, kind of where they are right now relative to, say, five or six years ago. But keep in mind that the interest rates we see today are still relatively low relative to any time prior to 2006. So it's not as if we're in a high interest rate economy. We're just in a normal interest rate economy right now. Right. So, so I, I think if I remember, I mean, for those of us old enough to remember, early 80s, wasn't the interest rate somewhere in the 13, 15, 17 percent? Well, I don't have the number exactly, but. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. There was a point in time. Well, you know, listen, we all if you're a Gen Xer, you you invariably had a father who would always go, oh, I remember 1982 when I was paying a 16 percent mortgage rate on my house. And, you know, as we got older, that number got higher, too. I think, you know, by the time I was in my early 20s, that was up to like a, you know, 47% or something like that. Typical, typical dad acceleration of content, <laughs> if you will. Again, what, what was interesting about that is my father was a real estate agent. Uh, he had a, own, his own brokerage in Rochester, New York, where I was raised. Uh, and I actually asked him one time, what were the best years, you know, for you as a real estate broker? And he actually said 1983, 84, and 85. And wait a minute, were mortgage rates like double digit? Weren't you complaining all the time about how mortgage rates, how high they were? And you're telling me you made the most money then. He said, yeah, but, you know, once buyers, once they built that into their expectations, things are fine. You put, you know, look, if interest rates are high, you know what you do? You put down more money. So there are ways of, of dealing with this. So the big thing, the big lift then was not the issue with interest rates, but just after five or six or seven years of a lot of interest rate uncertainty, inflation uncertainty, economic uncertainty because of the big bout in inflation, well, that had finally faded away and people were back to living their lives and buying homes and doing that kind of stuff. 
stability is more important in a lot of ways than, shall we say, levels. Right, right. It's only when I'm paying a 12% mortgage and suddenly it drops to six that I want to refinance and do things, right? If, if it's 12% and it goes to 11.5 and well, okay, maybe not 13. So what if it's, if it's hovering in a range stably, right? Well, and you, we even see that more closer to home, right? We know in the last part of last year, the real estate got really cold really quickly and mortgage rates have peaked at just about 7%. Well, the federal reserve has backed off. Inflation's cooled off. The bond markets are coming down and mortgage rates are now hovering a little above 6%. And you know what? Even that drop from 7% to a little above 6% is getting people back into the market. I've been talking to a lot of folks at the ground level who say, yeah, hey, it looks like things are settled out and people are showing up. You know, They want to buy again. They're out there looking again. It, it, we just need some certainty in, in as much as you can get it. Uh, and then you can go out and again, make your decisions. Right. So, so I think I hear you saying that we're not going to see three and a half percent mortgage rates anymore. We're not going to see those kind of lending rates in the economy. If, if I'm a, a, a small business person, if I'm a manufacturer, if I'm a homeowner or, you know, want to be homeowner, I should start discounting in this new level of stability into my equation for, for my economic planning, for my future plan. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You just need to focus in on, on higher interest rates. And, you know, I tell you what, that does mean that housing is going to be more expensive. I think there has to be some repricing in the housing market, just like in other asset markets, like the equity markets. But again, that's okay. You know, everybody complains that maybe the price of their home is going to fall over the next six months. You're still vastly up from where you were three years ago. So right. again, I don't want to hear right. any complaints. Right. A little bit of a correction is a little bit of a correction. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what are the oh, the key economic indicators that you focus on to assess the kind of the overall health of the economy? Is it one thing you look at? Do you look at five five indicators? Where, where, where do you go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you need to focus on a lot of different things. I don't think there's one or two or three big things. Um, obviously, I pay attention to consumer spending. Consumers are over two-thirds of the U.S. economy. And if the consumer's moving forward, they can lift a lot uh, from the, you know, for the other third of the economy. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. We just got the January retail sales number out this morning. And Lo and behold, after a couple of week months at the end of last year, it jumped up pretty sharply in January. These are all seasonally adjusted numbers. What it meant was Christmas wasn't quite as hot, but we also didn't have the big post-Christmas sell-off the way we typically do a big drop in sales. Uh, but however you look at it, consumers out there and they continue to do well. Uh, this is probably the big surprise. All those pessimists out there were telling us that consumers were getting crushed by inflation. Uh, quite the opposite. It was excessive consumer demand that was pushing inflation. And they had the story exactly opposite. Um, and consumers still have money. They're still sitting on cash. Cash balances in American households right now are like almost $5 trillion, which is five times what, what it was before the pandemic. So Americans have a, a, still have tons of money. They're still trying to spend it. They're still traveling. And uh, that's going to keep this economy moving, even if we have, again, some, shall we say, less stellar figures coming out of our real estate markets. So it sounds like uh, your last visit here uh, early on in the pandemic, when we were talking about the fact that you, you mentioned that consumers still had money. They just shifted how they spent it. Exactly. I couldn't go out to a restaurant. I couldn't go on vacation. Right. It was, it was, it was spending that was transferred, not spending that was canceled. And that was a critical difference. That's exactly why we had the big V. As soon as things got going again, as soon as people found someplace to spend their money, they spent it and things got up and running again. And that's different than the great recession where we, had a giant decline in spending because people have been spending way too much. It was spending canceled. Right, right. Okay. Makes sense. 
is there a key set of indicators that you would look at in assessing the health of the manufacturing economy? Let's get specific to small manufacturers now. Uh, we've talked in some broad terms now. Now, for man- the manufacturing economy, what are the keys yeah. to be watching? You got to look at the big drivers of demand, right? So what's happening, for example, in different types of business investment? Well, we know, for example, investment in housing is cooling off, but investment in business equipment is still doing really well. That's good for manufacturing, that's for sure. Exports, we had a good year for exports in 2022. Um, that's good for manufacturers. We know that for sure. Uh, and of course, last but not least, as I already noted, consumer spending. Where are consumers going? Again, those numbers seem pretty good. Uh, for me, if you think about manufacturing, you got to think about the sources of demand. And what's clear is the sources of demand for the product being produced by our nation's manufacturers still remains pretty darn strong. Now, industrial production has cooled off a little bit in the last couple of months, but a, a small amount from the high point it had hit at the end of last year when it was in an all-time high level. Manufacturing still looks uh, pretty pretty darn good. Okay. So let's talk specifically about that. California manufacturing economy. What can you say about it? What, what's the health of it? What's the state of it? What's the latest trends? Um, well, the latest trends are things that are cooling off a bit, coming into the, uh, the second half of 2022, uh, but still pretty close to an all-time high level. That comes from the state GDP numbers. 2022 or 23? 22, at the end of 22. We don't have any 2023 yet. It's too early in the year to get anything good. We don't even have the fourth quarter for 2022 yet for California. But things cooled off a little bit in the third quarter. Um, but overall numbers still look uh, pretty good, all said and done. We, we continue to see uh, good, strong numbers, which is odd because, you know, a lot of people don't realize that California is still a, an enormous manufacturing powerhouse in the nation. We actually have uh, more manufacturing output than any other state, including Texas, by a good margin. So, yeah, no, our, our manufacturing sectors are doing a pretty, pretty pretty well. Yeah. Manufacture, or California is a manufacturing powerhouse. Uh, I haven't seen an updated number since closures, and there have been some since COVID, but two, three years ago, it was fair to say that there were more manufacturers in LA County alone than there were in 41 states statewide. Yeah, I'm by that. I, I it's, absolutely it's, do buy it's that. that. It's yeah. that big. There's between 12 and 14,000 manufacturers in LA County at the time, and 41 states don't have 12 to 14,000 manufacturers statewide. So it's a huge powerhouse. Yeah, but I tell you, back in 2017, California had about 15% of all U.S. output, roughly size of U.S. California is about 15% of the U.S. economy. So that makes about sense. In 2021, it actually jumped to about 16.7% of U.S. output. So we're actually picking up market share. So again, as far as manufacturing goes, California still seems to be where it's at. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's good news. That's good news. So um, what are the big, biggest economic trends impacting the manufacturing sector? So you know, we, we want to start talking about things that can help the small to mid-sized manufacturer and the large manufacturer kind of think about how to make decisions, right? The, the, the story out there is that, that, you know, there's a recession coming, be careful. There, the, the economic news isn't necessarily good all the time that we read. If, if I have to make capital investment decisions, I have to make growth and expansion decisions, what do I look at to try to figure those things out? What are those indicators that would, would drive you? Well, again, I argue that there's not going to be a recession. So with that in mind, it's kind of the standard long run stuff. Where, where are your sources of demand coming from and, and, and what do you see at local on those particular fronts? When you think about California, our manufacturing sector, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some negative trends. One of them is that California's exports are not doing all that well right now. The global economy hasn't recovered quite as much as the U.S. has from the pandemic hit. But also, we got to keep something in mind, which is the dollar is really strong right now, which is a problem for manufacturers, makes them a little less competitive on that international front. Exports have been picking up at some level, probably not as much as we would have hoped in the backup of the pandemic, but they are 
recovering. So things are looking a little better. One of the good things for manufacturers is the fact that businesses are investing a lot in equipment right now. I mean, it's interesting. Why are they doing that, right? Well, we have a, a two-edged sword in our economy right now, both nationally and locally. Uh, and that, of course, is a, a lack of, of workers. Uh, the U.S. economy, uh, as of January, had a 3.4% unemployment rate. That is the lowest unemployment rate since, I believe, 1968, to give you some sense of things. Uh, and that, of course, leaves us with a phenomenal number of uh, job openings still. Phenomenal number. Now, why is this good for manufacturing? We understand why it's bad for manufacturing. It's obviously bad because, well, pretty darn hard to run a business when you don't have enough people. But remember that a lot of other businesses have to deal with this by, of course, investing in machinery. How do I do more with less? How do I increase my use of capital, machinery, information, technology in order to get over these labor shortages? Uh, and that, of course, is giving a nice lift to manufacturing because manufacturing produces those machines that are labor saving. Excellent. Okay. So, so the, the, the shift that's happening um, there is, is more towards automation. Exactly. Exactly. How do I... How do I get my warehouse to use fewer people? How do I get my restaurant to use fewer people, right? And that's, like you said, it's all about automation. Right, right. And even inside of manufacturing, we've got a number of clients at CMTC who, you know, bring us in to look at, you know, I can't get people. Can, can I have robots do the jobs they used to do, right? Yeah. Can, can I do automation somehow? How, how do I get more efficient and, and do the same output with the less number of people I now have? Not because I got rid of anybody, because I can't get them in the door. Exactly. Well, it's funny. For all the calls of recession, most businesses tell you my profits are fine. It's it's my labor force I'm having a problem with, right? And then you know, so you have to invest inside the manufacturing plant as well. And of course, those problems are profound in California, even more so in other parts of the nation because of our housing shortage. Um, the problem's already been in California at some level, but then again, it's now everywhere. Perhaps California manufacturers have a head start. Because they're already, they've already been dealing with labor shortages and they understand you have to do things in a different way. Yeah. And California has been increasing productivity for a decade or two with the same or shrinking workforce, right? It's one of the higher, higher productivity per worker states. And a lot of that is automation and the use of technology to get to that next level. A lot of it's that, but a lot of it's also that we produce a lot of information technology, manufactured goods, which of course tend to be very capital intensive. You know, so the structure of our manufacturing output, as well as, if you will, the automation that has to go into place in a, in a labor scarce place. Got it. Okay. So, so you, you talked a little bit about exports and we talked a little bit about, you know, some of the challenges for manufacturers. Supply chain has been a challenge and there are still issues around the world, right? So manufacturing in California doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens through a global supply chain. What are the key indicators that you look at to understand how the economies around the world might impact manufacturing locally? Well, first thing I do, of course, is just look at indicators having to do with trade disruption. Uh, the New York uh, Federal Reserve has a nice, uh, like a global trade cost index or a global trade disruption index where they look at various sorts of things. And it actually has come down pretty sharply from the chaos we saw a year ago. Uh, you remember a year ago when there were boats parked all the way down the coast trying to get into Los Angeles and Long Beach? Well, that's faded. Number of boats is down. Uh, there's fewer delays. So we're starting to catch up. Now, are we there? No, we're still not there. No. I, heard, I heard part of the problem was those boats moved to other ports around the nation. Exactly. Well, part of that's that. To a degree. Yeah, but part of it's also that they're starting to pick up, right? We're, we're just, we're finally getting on top of this thing, as the case may be, and, and clearing out the inventory. Things are cooling out a bit. So a little bit of everything. 
even move more going through airports and whatnot. You know, a lot of a lot of importers realize, well, maybe I can't do it on boat. Maybe I'll just suck it up and put it on a plane instead because there's plenty of airports. However, it is, we seem to be getting over the hump. We seem to be catching up. Uh, things are less bad now than they were a year ago, and I think that trend will continue. Now, does that mean everything's fine? No, it's still lots of delays out there. Oh boy, two months ago, I, I picked up a, a a rock, you know, from a truck and, and cracked my windshield. It took me two months to get a, a new windshield. And so, <laughs> you know, you know, they're still behind. You know, they're still trying to catch up. A lot of things, there's still a fight. You, know, you try to get a new, brand new HVAC system for your new warehouse. It's still going to take you six months to get the stuff in the door. Remember, a year ago it was eight, nine months, if at all, right? So we're getting there. We're starting to catch up. Of course, China is starting to reopen a bit, and that's going to be helpful. Uh, we know that they've decided to finally get over the dramatic COVID protocol and just deal with it. And so things are doing a little better over there as well, and that's certainly helping the situation. So uh, we're over the hump on that one, but we're not out of the woods. How do you like that for a mixed metaphor? <laughs> uh, fair. It, uh, I think it makes sense. I think it's fair. So uh, on your last visit here on Shifting Gears, uh, back in season two, we talked about some specific, specific shifts occurring in the California economy related to small and mid-sized manufacturers. I'd like to touch on those again if we can. First is, you know, manufacturers leaving California. Do you have a sense of, of what the latest trends are? Are, are? Is it flattening out or are they still going? Well, you know, it's interesting because we, we hear a lot about companies leaving California, right? The funny thing about that is, is this is more, um, it's more story than reality. I mean, very few companies, quote unquote, move. Uh, the vast majority of changes in employment or establishments are companies closing and opening rather than moving, actually picking up moving, as the case may be. We don't have a lot of good data on moving businesses, except for we've tracked down enough of it to know that it's a tiny share of what's actually going on, as the case may be. More broadly speaking, if you said, well, what are the trends in overall manufacturing? For the most part, most sectors continue to grow faster in California than for the U.S. overall. Not all. Some are moving in the opposite direction. For example, uh, we're falling behind on petroleum and co-products. Uh, we're falling behind on furniture production. That is to say, our share of national output on those front is starting to go down. But other things, for example, computer electronic products, those are our relative share output is going up. Uh, or you can look at some sectors like uh, electric equipment, equipment uh, appliances. Those are uh, we're grab capturing more market share there. Machinery manufacturing, we're capturing more market share there. And if you just look at the number of establishments in the state, well, we recently crossed 45,000 manufacturing establishments. Uh, put that in context, a decade ago, we had about 40,000. Uh, if you wanted to look, say, for example, in Texas, they're at about 27,000 manufacturing establishments. So whether you're looking at output, whether you're looking at the number of actual establishments, we seem to be growing faster uh, than the U.S. overall. And that says to me, you know, maybe if there's a couple high-profile headquarters moving, but obviously the, states, the, the state of the state's manufacturing sector seems to be just fine. Thank you. I understand that. And I think that kind of makes sense at a level, especially if something like what I'm about to say is going on, right? Where where some of the older industries that are would have a, hard, a harder time um, adopting technology or meeting the environmental requirements in California would be phasing out 
and the new ones are going to be the newer, newer high tech things. Is that is that kind of the phenomenon we're seeing? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, I think we are seeing some of those some of those dirtier industries move out at some level. It's hard to say because these are relatively broad classifications of industries, and even within these industries, you may see coming and going. What's often interesting about this, though, is you you very often don't see manufacturers move because of what I would call regulation. Really, they tend to leave on the basis of a lack of, of, of certainty or a lack of understanding. A lot of manufacturers will tell you, just, just tell me the rules. Just tell me the rules and I'll deal with it. What they hate is regulatory uncertainty. When you're trying to make a plan and you just can't get a straight answer on what I could do or not do, because that's when you're getting yourself into trouble. Oh, I just made a I just made a $14 million investment in a new piece of machinery, and now the state's telling me I can't use it. That's where they get frustrated. Or I remember years ago, there was a steel manufacturer, uh, or I think a roller up in, up in the Bay Area, who was going crazy because they needed to get a new forklift to move some stuff around. And the state kept saying, well, you need to use an electric forklift. And they're like, you can't, they don't exist. There is no electric forklift in this size category. It doesn't exist. Right. Like it, doesn't it doesn't have the payload. It doesn't have the payload we need. Right? Exactly. Only. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't do that. Is you're telling me to do something is not physically possible. This is the stuff that makes manufacturers go screw it. I'm going to go to Arizona, right? So you know, it's it's a, it's a matter of just having distinct rules and 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 following them, and then you can pretty much keep things moving ahead on a on a decent level. Okay. So any, any ideas about movement within the state? Are we still seeing kind of an exodus towards some of the inland um, Central Valley? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and you got to remember that, that the coastal areas, when you think about those labor shortages, the coastal areas are particularly profound. Cost of land is particularly profound. So you do have a circumstance by which you know, if you're a manufacturer, say, uh, I don't know, in the Bay Area, you're probably looking at the East Bay just because there's more space, more opportunity to get a new factory going out there than there would be in very expensive San Jose or San Francisco. If, you know, we, I did some work not too long ago where we looked at some, you know, where were the big growth in manufacturing jobs in the state? And the big ones were, as already noted, the East Bay, what we call the Oakland MSA. Alameda, Contra Costa County. Sacramento has been seeing a, a lot of growth over the last few years in manufacturing employment. San Luis Obispo is an interesting place uh, in terms of, of overall manufacturing jobs. They've been doing better. And, you know, it's up there, it's, I know, first thing you think is, well, why? They're making all that great wine. But actually, there's a nice little sort of technology industry in, in the Central Coast there that's that's doing pretty well as well, doing some, some high-tech manufacturing. Or even a place like Santa Cruz. Yet again, uh, you know, kind of overflow, if you will, from the San Jose Manufacturing Corps. Uh, they're moving down there, doing different kind of thing, taking advantage of being, if you will, Silicon Valley adjacent, but not actually being in incredibly expensive Silicon Valley. So they're, they're moving a little bit farther afield, uh, not surprising, uh, but not really so much out of state. And then for Southern California, moving towards the Inland Empire, Riverside, San Bernardino, or? Yeah, Inland Empire for sure, although not as much as you might think. You know, one of the issues with the Inland Empire is out there in particular, you find yourself competing with the warehouses for people. Yes. That's an enormous warehouse sector. And, and I know that that, that could be a, a bit of a problem for folks trying to locate out there. Uh, in fact, if you look at Southern California, Actually, Ventura, even though it's significantly smaller than the Empire, has actually had more manufacturing job growth over the last few years. Uh, and of course, you know, the Central Valley, both Stockton and Fresno, have seen different, decent uh, increase in jobs as well. So, um, yeah, it's more the, the second tier markets that are picking up these jobs right now. But 
that, again, that, that shouldn't be a surprise. Manufacturing typically occurs on the peripheral parts uh, of an urban economy, not in the central core. Right. Right. The, the, the steel mills not in downtown. Exactly. Right? Not anymore. Used to be a right. long time ago. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Used to be. Yep. Okay. So as we're wrapping up and kind of bringing our conversation to a close, any other key things that you think manufacturers should know related to the current state of the economy and the likely, you know, next six to 12 months? I think the best thing you could do is, is turn off the miserablest nonsense. Um, remember that they've been telling us the sky has been falling consistently for a decade now. Um, they haven't been right then, and I don't think they're going to be right now. Uh, but with that in mind, the other thing to consider is uh, the broader idea here that your labor shortages aren't going anywhere. And you really need to continue to think about how you do more with less on this particular world. And, you know, a lot of manufacturing companies that have been around for a while will tell you their workforce is pretty old old now, right? They're getting on in the years. They're having trouble bringing in young folks. And these are the companies that really could start to see a big exodus over the next decade that need to think ahead, right? You, you can't just wait till that, you know, the guy on that machine decides to retire to suddenly scramble around for some sort of solution. You got to be ahead on this stuff. You got to be uh, do a lot of workforce planning in this day and age. Yeah. A lot of times it does happen that, you know, there, there's the as design spec, yeah. and then there's the as built spec, right? The operator knows how to make the thing work, and he may not have ever recorded it right. <laughs> anywhere, yeah. right? So, so, so that technical memory, that job knowledge, that, that that knowledge of how to get it done, as that exits through natural attrition, as people age out of the workforce, that it's important to capture that and, and be able to hand it on to the next generation of worker, and also to figure out before they go how to use technology where you can to replicate them. Because there aren't, there, there's a shortage of workers. There just aren't enough people in the economy. And, and, and you know, one of the things I would tell all manufacturers is, is there is there is the recognition by our state economic development authorities, whether they're fully public or the public-private partnerships that occur in many places. There is a clear recognition that manufacturing jobs are good jobs. You know, they're kind of middle-skilled jobs. You don't have to have necessarily a bachelor degree, but you do need a little bit of training. They tend to play well and, and provide a real career path. Now more than ever, these development organizations are recognizing that there's an opportunity to help really low-skilled workers who might be stuck, say, at a fast food job or or stuck in some, you know, cleaning, menial cleaning job to get some skills and, and build a career path. So any company that's facing shortages of some of their, their skilled labor, reach out to your local development folks, talk to them, work with local community colleges, get the programs up and running. You can tell the community what you need and they will be there for you. Again, I go back to what I said. These are good jobs. We know it. And the help will be there for you to fill them. Yes. Between the economic development organizations to help connect you and to help help finance the various things. Don't forget the WIBs. Uh, yes. Workforce development boards, et cetera, for training aspects, as well as the community colleges. Hundred and I think 114, 117 community colleges across California. I, I've I've toured a number of them. We part with and partner with a number of them. Fantastic training facilities in robotics and advanced technologies and mechatronics in, you know, welding, in, everything that a manufacturer can need, you know, HVAC, et cetera, everything is there. Uh, there there's capabilities to train people in that. And so it's just a matter of partnering up to, to get the, a pipeline of, of workers who have, have an interest in this industry and have the skills you need. Okay. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being with me today. Um, a lot of good information. The miserable, miserableist narrative, I think you call it. Interesting idea there. Makes me feel a little better about the, the economic prospects and start, instead of reading all the doom and gloom, right? But the headlines are always sensationalized, aren't they? 
They're always trying to attract our attention, and they they always over overstate. It's particularly bad now, right? My one little satisfaction is we're not the only forecasting arena where you see this problem, right? It used to be that the weatherman would come on and say, "Oh, you know, there could be a storm tomorrow." Now they go, "It's going to be a a bomb cyclone." <laughs> Isn't that a storm? <laughs> so. It, Apparently, this is happening everywhere, right? It's not just economists who are having this problem. So, yeah. f- f- fair enough. Yeah, I'd never heard of a bomb cyclone or an atmospheric river uh, five years ago. I, those those terms were not in my vocabulary. I know what they are now, though. Uh, somehow, right? It, it, it's a storm. There you go. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your perspectives, insights, and predictions with me and with our listeners. Great to be here, as always. And to our listeners, thank you for joining me for our conversation with Chris Thornburg on Beware of the Economic Narrative. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you for listening to Shifting Gears, a podcast from CMTC. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and post it on your social media platforms. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast directory. For more information on our topic, please visit www.cmtc.com slash shifting gears. CMTC is a private nonprofit organization that provides technical assistance, workforce development, and consulting services to small and medium-sized manufacturers throughout the state of California. CMTC's mission is to serve as a trusted advisor providing solutions that increase the productivity and competitiveness of California's manufacturers. CMTC operates under a cooperative agreement for the state of California with the Hollings Manufacturing Extension Partnership Program, MEP, at the National Institutes of Standards and Technology within the Department of Commerce. For more information about CMTC, please visit www.cmtc.com. For more information about the MEP National Network or to find your local MEP center, visit www.nist.gov forward slash MEP.